Today's Structure Show is brought to you by Momentum SI, experts in cloud computing and DevOps. Momentum provides consulting for Amazon, OpenStack, and vCloud Air, as well as leading DevOps solutions like Puppet, Docker, and OpenShift. For cloud and DevOps consulting services, visit www.momentumsi.com. Thanks for supporting the show. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm here this week with Jonathan Vanian, who's sitting in for Derek. Hey Jonathan. Hello, Barb. And uh, you may carry on the brunt of the conversation since I've got a terrible cold, which I apologize <laughs> for. Sorry, everyone. Um, I will carry the brunt. You can carry the brunt. Um, well, you're like the Docker maven, so um, we, there's been a bunch of container news this week. So um, I'll kick it off with one item, and then I want to ask you about Spotify, what they're doing. But um, Sounds good to be. Okay, so this week, uh, Mirantis, which is uh, my favorite OpenStack upstart company, um, is said, announced that it was working with Google to bring Kubernetes to OpenStack. Um, this is not exactly huge breaking news because HP announced something similar in August, but right. Mirantis actually has a lot of, um, they actually do have a lot of big open stack customers. So mm -hmm. it's interesting and it gives, it gives Google a little bit more, um, Google really wants the, its cloud services to be seen as enterprise worthy. And this, while it doesn't really promote a hybrid cloud, it does promote some kind of workload, um, transport, uh, what am, what's the word I'm looking for? Workload uh, migration. So you could take your sure. Kubernetes from running on Google Cloud, and then you can move it over to OpenStack, you know, allegedly Mirantis OpenStack, but there's no reason it wouldn't move to some other OpenStack. And you can deploy it on a private OpenStack cloud or blah, 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 blah. So, right. That, that seems like that's the whole promise of Kubernetes, right? Playing right. nice with all the different clouds. Right. All of yeah, yeah. It's like it's like Kubernetes is cloud agnostic the way uh, Cloud Foundry is supposed to be cloud agnostic on the PaaS side. So, sure. I mean, everyone has pledged support for Kubernetes at this point. I think Red Hat, Microsoft, uh, SaltStack. Who else? Um, yeah, it's it seems to be like the, right now is the leading ad cloud agnostic orchestration service that is out there open and, source service. and google open sourced it earlier this year or i guess it was actually last year at this point but it was interesting to me that you wrote a story i think last weekend about spotify uh it's doing a lot of container work but not with kubernetes so tell yeah, us what's going on <laughs> it, it's interesting you know so they, they they've got a lot of uh containers in production right now um you know and so not very many companies have gone public with actually using the technology and production but a lot of what makes that stuff work you know the containers is the orchestration you know because you got there's a lot of cranks moving and you're spinning up containers with the microservices in them you know all that has to be coordinated and they built their own orchestration framework called helios and when i was talking with them they 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 built it at a time when kubernetes wasn't really gaining as you know a whole lot of traction in the market it wasn't the whole container talk wasn't mm -hmm. as big as it is now and there wasn't a lot of options out there so they just built their own Mm -hmm. um, now we got a lot of orchestration options. <laughs> you got right. Kubernetes, you've got Amazon's EC2 container service. Um, there's a startup called Giant Swarm and has its own orchestration service. And Docker's been rolling out Microsoft or has been rolling out orchestration services um, in addition to that. But mm -hmm. Spotify right now is currently going to stick with Helios. They say it is battle proven. You know, not a lot of these orchestration frameworks, as we know, are being run in production. Mm -hmm. So 
it's it, to me that's a little bit fascinating, um, and it shows sort of the importance of orchestration tools. You know, I think as containers get more prominence, people say that this year is going to be the year of the production container. It really seems dependent on you know the infrastructure to deploy those containers. Do you think Spotify uh, will will kind of pull a Netflix here and say, "Look, we've done this ourselves. If other people want to use it, here we're going to open source it. Everybody can use it." Do they? Do you think they'll do something like that? Yeah, you know, it's actually, it is open source. Oh. So, uh, you know, if people want to give it a shot, they can go ahead and download it. Um, they uh, they announced it over at last year's DockerCon. They talked a little bit about it, and they said, if you want to look at what we're doing, go ahead and clone it. Um, you know, but this is, you know, this orchestration tool is really uh, hardwired for Spotify's infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what works for them may not necessarily work for everyone else. Mm-hmm. But you know, I would, I would think that the people <laughs> who are downloading this would be would have the engineer skill set to right. <laughs> make it work for the infrastructure. One would hope. One would think. <laughs> one would hope, <laughs> but you never know. Um, you know yes. <laughs> and and there's uh, other news this week. I mentioned HP earlier. Um, the news that kind of obsessed me even through my feverish um cold was that um on oh gosh what's today well on tuesday i guess i can't even remember what day it was anyway i heard i heard that martin mikos who is the cloud chief at hp uh is stepping back um which is interesting because he was you know hp bought his company eucalyptus Mm -hmm. september 11th and it's February what? Like um, I don't even February twenty something. Yeah, 20- and he's saying he's he's basically phasing out um, and turning over his responsibilities to a bunch of other HP execs, including our friend Bill Hilf, who has been mm-hmm. there for a while, uh, and two other executives. And this is interesting because six months is short by most standards. You know, usually when a company buys another company. You know, they try to lock the key executives in, you know, for a year or 18 months right. or whatever. I actually wondered if, I, I, to me, it just seems like he's on his, he's leaving, but that's not what they're saying officially. So anyway, it's really interesting and it opens up a lot of questions because, you know, HP. Right. What is it doing with eucalyptus now? That's, I'm well, I, I'm actually working on a story on that right now. But the thing is, they have said very little about what they're doing about eucalyptus. Uh, and before they bought eucalyptus, HP had planned to support Amazon APIs in its public cloud implementation. Mm-hmm. Then it pulled that support, said it wasn't going to do that. Then it bought eucalyptus. The prime you know, motivator, allegedly, was that eucalyptus knows how to do a Amazon API-compliant private clouds. Sure. Then we didn't hear anything for three or four months. And today, uh, somebody just pointed out to me today that there is actually an HP Helion eucalyptus page on HP's Sorry. site, which I've never seen before. And I don't think anyone else has either. Every link on it defaults to the old eucalyptus site. So I'm still trying to sort out what's going on there. Um, anyway, so HP's, you know... Trials and tribulations continue. Uh, we love Martin, so we're trying to find Martin, have him talk to us. He was supposed to be at Structure this year, and now I don't think he will be. But um, yeah. at least not in his HP capacity, maybe. But anyway, that's that that is interesting news to me. Um, no, that is yeah, that's that is interesting, and I think it comes off like uh, HP's earnings, which didn't pan out too great. Right. Uh, Right. Well, they, I don't, you know, I just looked at the transcript. I was too sick to listen to the HP earnings call, but I looked at the transcript. There was no mention made on the call about of this, this, right. any of the uh, reorg stuff. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in fact, it's not been announced 
externally. It was just somebody read me the email. So anyway, that's that. Um, but I do want to, you know, get everybody all jazzed up because we have a great guest today. And uh, Derek was still here when we interviewed. We have Mark Cuban, wow. who is a star um, <laughs> of Shark Tank on ABC. And I knew him when he was a mere VAR, a value-added reseller back in the day. And um, his humble he, beginnings. He's the, he's the greatest guy because you know, you know, over the last twenty years, I try not to impinge on him too much. But every time I send him an email, he responds. He's a great guy, and he had me doubting my own beliefs on net neutrality, which is really saying something. Uh, listening to his argument against the, what most people are saying, I gotta tell you, it's a little compelling. <laughs> so I'm sure there will be lots of hate mail. Um, he made some noise about this last week, and that's so basically our entire conversation is pretty much about net neutrality. We tack a little big data on at the end. Oh, and also how the Mavericks use data analysis. We talk a little bit. So I was going to say, there. I, ho I was hoping there's some Dallas Mavericks talk. Exactly. Well, you know, and I couldn't even get in. A, I barely got time to ask him about how they like Rajon Rondo over there because we miss him in Boston. But anyway, so everybody stay tuned for me and Derek and Mark Cuban. Thanks all. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, no problem. When your CIO requests continuous delivery on a hybrid cloud, it's time to call the consultants at Momentum SI. Experts in DevOps, resilient architectures, and scale-out cloud, Momentum consultants can help you establish a self-service infrastructure that bridges the gap between development and operations teams. Momentum SI ensures that you have the expertise you need to get your projects done right. For consulting services, visit www.momentumsi.com. Thanks for supporting The Structure Show. Hey, everybody. We've got a special guest today on the show. We're here with Mark Cuban, ent serial entrepreneur and former columnist for CRN. I have to throw that in there. And this is how Happy. I know Mark. And so he knows the channel. Um, and we have a lot of topics we'd love to talk to Mark about, but... I guess the first one, newsworthy-wise, is net neutrality. You caused sure. quite a stir this week, Mark, so tell us what happened. Well, I mean, look, I, I've had my same position on net neutrality for, for more than 10 years, and, and that is, I think, what's happening on the net works. I mean, I was involved with the Internet right when it started. Um, we started AudioNet, which turned into Broadcast.com back in 1995, and for the past 20 years, things have worked. And now you know the net neutrality folks seems to be seem to be getting some momentum under the the creating the perception that the big ISPs that got us to this point have now become bad citizens mm -hmm. and they're going to ruin the internet unless they're regulated and you know from my perspective I like the way technology goes and I like the competition and I like you know the direction things are going um, I think introducing regulation via the FCC is a huge mistake, and I said so. So do you think, I mean, I guess I guess the net, one of the takeaways here is that you're more concerned about, you know, bureaucracy from the government than any potential power that, say, Comcast would acquire. Yeah, but Comcast has always had that power, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like AT&T and Comcast have just, you know, recently become super big companies and you know, they've changed their actions. I mean, one of the, the tenets of net neutrality is that no website should ever, no legal website should ever be discriminated against. Mm -hmm. Name me one that has been. Well, I mean, when people argue that Netflix has been discriminated against, I think there have been numbers no, showing. No, um, and what Netflix I would say, they make that argument, 
But what's actually happened, Netflix went out and and hired um, uh, what was um, Cogent, I think it was. And, you know, they put out, Netflix put out their, their CDM business to bid. And they hired the least expensive provider, which was Cogent. And when Cogent didn't have enough throughput to Comcast and other uh, ISPs, Netflix complained. Mm -hmm. Netflix didn't have to put it out to the cheapest bidder. They could have done a deal directly. All right. Do we concern, though, now that you look at cable companies? It doesn't sound like you are, but I mean, just hypothetically <laughs> that as, as you see the, the, the Verizons and the AT&Ts and the Comcast of the world buying up, you know, the, the broadband business. I mean, they, they own the, the infrastructure and, you know, and then cable and, yeah, and all these things. Such where... a risk. Why, why would Google go into it? And now you see you also see AT&T saying, you know what, we're going to go out of our traditional um, TV markets where they have Uverse and try to compete with Comcast and Google. You know, it's not, you know, and that, that's on one, that's one layer. And then on the other layer, you have mobile, you have cable vision going into Manhattan where Verizon and AT&T and, you know, you can get broadband wireless and saying, you know what, we're going to put together an unwired um, Wi-Fi network for $30 a month where, you know, you can, you can get your internet wherever you go in, in New York. And so it's not like we're looking at a scenario where, um, you know, there's not competition. You may not like the competition. Mm -hmm. You may not think it's as, as good as it could be, but you've got wireless, you've got wired, and you've got technological advances on both places. So you've said why you, you're you not against, in theory, I guess, the Comcast Time Warner thing going through. No, not at all. Um, do you think, having said that, that it, it is going to go through, or do you get the impression that No idea. Are... I have no idea. Okay. You know, that, that part I don't get into, but I, I again... You know, I get more concerned that there's no, to me, you know, I would rather see national competition for Google than no competition for Google. <laughs> you know, if, if, you, if you put a lid on Time Warner and Comcast and Google just keeps on adding more and more markets, who's going to compete with them? But they're not evil, Mark. <laughs> yeah, right, because they say do no evil, right? You know, and, and if you're going to talk about concerns, you know, what's the fastest growing access methodology for the Internet? It's mobile, right? Mm -hmm. And who controls access to mobile? Well, you got a point there. <laughs> yeah, Google, Google and Apple, right? Right. Interesting. You know, so the, the far greater risk, and I, I still don't think it requires legislation, but the far greater risk is, okay, if Apple decides that your app, the Comcast, if Apple decides the Comcast app is not right, Comcast is not going to be able to reach most of their market to give access through an app to um, their their own broadband, which is crazy when you think about it, but a possibility. This kind of goes back to the argument that the Microsoft lawyers had in their antitrust suit, which is that you know regulations are to defend competition, not competitors. Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, you look what happened. You know, you you unbundled IE4 from Windows, and it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. By that time. <laughs> At any time, right? Did it impact anything at all when it was all said or done? I think that, that I think part of that was because Microsoft started to change its behavior in anticipation of what, what was going on there. But I don't know. That, that was a yeah, long it was also time. a different time, though. Yeah. You know, back then, I mean, look, for all the years that we've been in the tech industry since we've been about eight or nine years old, you know, that you know, the the majority of tech companies did not get involved in DC. They did not get involved in regulation. That this is all a recent phenomenon, and now you know everybody's got a lobbyist. Everybody's involved. Everybody's got their opinion, 
And I think it's backfiring on us, just like patent laws backfired on us. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look, look what happened with patents. That's what happens, you know, when you try to, when legislation gets involved with technology. And so I, I just think that if you're looking for pain points, that the broadband ISPs aren't it, that there are far other places. And I'll go back to the example I just gave, and it's the first time I've brought it up because just thought of it. I mean, it literally, it's feasible that if Google Play Store and iOS App Store decide that they don't like the Comcast app that provides TV everywhere on Comcast Network, mm-hmm. they could block it. Mm-hmm. And then what happens to Comcast trying to offer access to all the iPhones? So basically, there are gating factors on cable companies' powers, but they're not necessarily from other cable companies. Just the point being yeah. that there, there's all these risk factors that you know that are going to, and the law of unintended consequences is going to come crumbling down on top of us all. You know, whereas for the last 20 years on the internet, and for the last 30 years since I started selling locuary networks in the 80s, you know, technology has managed to keep on pushing forward and ahead of legislation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always been impossible for legislation to keep up. I just read something yesterday that the, the head of, today's head of the FCC, Tom Wheeler, wrote something when he took office. And one of the things he wrote was about, um, there was, oh, what was, the former FCC commissioner um, in the 70s or 80s, William Jefferson Lee or something like that, said that, you know, all this worrying about the spectrum um, wireless spectrum is a waste of time because you know cell phones are just are just a um, a toy something mm-hmm. to that effect right <laughs> but that was the FCC commissioner and that slowed down the adoption of use of spectrum for for wireless by 15 years Interesting. you know yeah. it was anecdotal but the point being that who knows what the next FCC commissioner is going to introduce by way of barriers because th- this is a politically po- po- appointed office. And if you look at the sequence of what's happened with the current FCC commissioner um, or head of commission and, and the commissioners, he went from, okay, we're going to have you know, light regulation, which was fine. Then there was a Verizon decision, which opened up net neutrality opportunities to, for the FCC. Then the president of the United States came, comes in and you know, offers his position for strong net neutrality. Now Tom Wheeler, the commissioner, changes his, his mind they come out with 322 pages of regulation that none of us get to see until after the vote on February 26th. Now, that sequence of events, do you think it's the last time it's going to happen with the FCC and a, and a president? Probably no. not. <laughs> exactly. And that's the point. Yeah, well, that's a fair point, too. I mean, the, the one thing I've been noticing since, you know, for the past several years especially, is like when you look at all sorts of things um, – uh, email, for example, right? I mean, it was just like last year, two years ago, where a court decided, you know, that 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 cloud-based email services are are protectable under the Fourth Amendment, <laughs> and like right. the idea that, and then, there's a point there because these regulations the go back. Unless yeah, it's the SEC, the SEC does not need a warrant to get your email. <laughs> oh yeah, so, dear God! So the regulations go back decades, and you go, oh well, this was built, you know, at this technology, yeah. But I mean, assuming you know we don't future-proof anything, right? Uh, you know, regulations and net neutrality today, ten years from now, could look completely yeah, oblivious. Yeah, because you're going to have LTE five, and it's going to look ridiculous. You know, yeah. literally, I, I have no doubt in my mind that in in ten years, eight to ten years, when LTE five is here, we're going to talk about cutting the broadband cord. 
And if you know, who knows what happens in terms of investment for for fixed line broadband, whether it's you know fiber or whatever. But there's going to be competition that you can't anticipate. And it's worked this far where look, the market's far from perfect, and you know Comcast service and AT&T service are far from perfect. But demonizing these big companies is not a strategy that solves anything. Right. And that's what this comes down to, right? Just like we used to demonize back in the day Microsoft and IBM. Oh yeah. You know. Some and, of us you still know, do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. But look what happened to IBM, and look where they're at now. Yeah, something. You know, DEC and Comcast or Com Compaq and Data General and NEC and you know the list goes on and on and on. Route 128 used to be the dominant place for everything technology driven. You know, back in the 80s, yeah. gone. Completely. You know, and there's just no sense of history anymore. I, I don't know if this you know supports or or you know uh, opposes your point, but. I will say that in, in, the, in the case of broadband and in the case of net neutrality, so I just got a gigabit internet to my house. I have fiber like three feet from my feet right now in my office. And nice. um, I think that was because, you know, it's from, it's from CenturyLink and it's cheap. <laughs> and I, that, I think Google gets the credit for, you know, for forcing the competition to right. start acting. And well, I don't know if it's good point. or bad. There is so. competition. Yeah, there is. So it's kind of like, well, pe the companies are reacting and they're, they're lowering prices in and investing. On the other hand, if Google did force their hands, maybe it wouldn't have happened. So, Absolutely. Net, but so. there's always been some competition to force somebody's hand. Yeah. But now, okay, so let's just say most, most likely there's going to be net neutrality regulation. What happens? The first thing that happens is AT&T, Time Warner, Comcast, they all sue, right? Right. And so now we have these lawsuits. So that... Now, people then, you know, investors and um, cap, uh, technology companies looking to make capital improvements, um, ISPs, now they have to wait. Now, they're not going to stop everything. They, they've got to keep on going. I don't even think they'll slow down their investment. But in terms of new technology be, being introduced, everybody's got to wait to see what the game is going to be. But that, that's not even the biggest risk. What if, what, what if there is some decision that just shocks everybody? you know, and takes it one direction or the other. Now that's the law of the land. We've set ourselves up for, for a lot of uncertainty. And it's happened time and time again where, you know, FCC regulations get, um, get tested. They, the decision goes against the FCC and they fight it mm -hmm. for years. Just like yeah. the FCC, just like the World War, the um, wardrobe malfunction from the Super Bowl in 2004, <laughs> they spent money for eight years. Just remember, the FCC that you want to be the Department of the Internet is the company that spent taxpayer money trying to cover, you know, debating and arguing the penalty for showing, you know, Janet Jackson's nipple. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. That is a hard point to argue, <laughs> because <laughs> the, and the world moved on. So I was just talking to my wife the other day, and I was like, you know, when we were a kid, like Baby Got Back, Sir Mix-a-Lot song was scandalous, and in right? that time, like now we have this Nicki Minaj song, which yeah, is you know, and, samples. And I'm like, videos. Okay, what so here's another one for you. My God, and yeah, that okay, nipple so thing is perfect. Perfect right? example. That's a perfect, perfect, perfect example, right? So now. Let's say, just for the sake of example, we take this to an extreme conclusion, and since TV, for the most part now, is all digital, right? And if it's bits or bits, and really, all television is that you get delivered over CenturyLink or Time Warner or Verizon, any digital delivery, it's just an application-specific network, right? It's using the same wire as your Internet, but they just segregate it so that there's no buffering of your TV and all the bits 
um, for your television are there, there's no contention for them, right? It's a contention-free mm-hmm. network, and you get TV delivered. Let's just say they open that all up so it's all free, free and clear over the Internet, and there's buffering and stuff like that. But let's not even talk about the technological side of it. What about the, um, the censorship side of it? What about the, de- the decency and indecency side of it? Mm-hmm. Are all of a sudden you're going to have the FCC dealing with you know, the next wardrobe malfunction on some crazy website? <laughs> this is a nightmare scenario. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the real world, though. <laughs> well, it is pretty hard to argue. Well, how could, it, I mean, how could it not happen, right? Because now if you know, those people who want to protect decency in the United States and the content that's delivered over the Internet is, is the purview of the FCC, where else would you go? Yeah, that's a... <laughs> it is pretty hard to argue. Sorry, <laughs> although I'm thinking of I'm thinking of things. Um, anyway, well, I would love to go on on this discussion, but before we let you go, because of Shark uh-huh. Tank and because you've been an entrepreneur forever, I'm just kind of curious about what other technologies you've got your eye out for. You know. Um. Okay, so I'm all about sensors right now, and I have been for like the last five years. I've mm-hmm. got a company, Motion Loft, that all they do is count things that walk in front of them, bikes, cars, people, um, and where they're installing them all around the country now. So if you're getting ready to open up a new CV, um, CVS or a Walgreens or whatever, you'll put one of our sensors um, up on a street corner, and you'll know the exact traffic before you make a decision on this corner versus that corner. Or you're Macy's, and you want to know the street traffic because you're trying to decide what the best time to open, what the best time to close is. Mm-hmm. Or we're the American Airlines Center, and you want to track you know, the, the traffic um, throughout the arena in real time so you can send alerts. You know, this, this hot dog stand is, has less of a line than that hot dog stand. Or, you, you know, we're putting them over overpasses, so you want to know what the, the flow of traffic is um, in real time. So real-time counting for sensors. Um, one of my Shark Tank companies is a company called Breathometer, and it started off just doing um, a breath test for alcohol. Mm-hmm. So if you know if you're past the legal limit, now they've added additional sensors. So using um, your breath, you can, um, you can start looking for diseases. Wow. Um, there's just so many things now that we're going to evolve from um, us putting typing in things into Google to get a response to give us information to our environment and all the sensors sending us updates and notifications that this is happening or that is happening as they relate to your health or um, traffic or whatever it is that you need in your life. And so I think um, that the pushing of information, the acquisition of information by sensors and the pushing of that to us is going to change how we interact with, you know, technology and the Internet of Things. So that's a big one. Um, machine vision is another big one. We use it in Motion Loft. Um, I've got another company called Netra. I'm looking at some others where being able to look at video in real time and, and determine what's going on so that you can then make decisions about what's in front of you or what's around you. Um, and it, whether it's business applications or applications like the Mavs, where we're going to be able to, you know, look, take, we have 29 um, 5K cameras that we installed around um, the American Airlines Center, and we're, we're getting the software now where we'll be able to, rather than looking at video, everything that it sees will be encapsulated or stitched together to, to be data so that if we wanted to say, okay, who did that ball hit off going out of bounds, 
you know, we'll be able to rotate all the data and recreate the video of of looking right at the player's hands to see who went out of bounds on. So taking video and re um, and re in, not encoding it, but um, recapsulating it as data, mm-hmm. um, so that anything could be recreated or any video could be recreated out of that data, is, is a big step forward for machine vision and something we're working on. So, so are you a, are you a big data guy when it comes to then? I mean, how you run your your various businesses yes and the Mavs, no, right? Because we use data a lot for analytics for the Mavs, but it really depends on the industry because what ends up happening, and we've we've seen this with basketball that when one company or one team in this case uses analytics or big data it's a huge advantage mm-hmm. when, when you know five out of thirty use it it's not as big an advantage but it's an advantage when all thirty teams use it then it's an efficient market and it's not nearly as much of an advantage and so you know it's the same in business where if in your industry you're the leader and you're able to create data and analyze it in a way that others can't you can get an edge if you if everybody's got the same data, then it really goes away from what's big data to what's you know what's analysis of data and how you're using it and can you find other other things that become important. And so in in data in in sports, it's medicine, you know, health analytics, mm-hmm. um, data about health that we're hoping is the next level of analytics. And that's the same in business too. You know, what is it that can make people feel better about work? Things, you know, you know. So data might tell you what our efficiency is and what our ROI is, or what the the depending on what it what you're analyzing, obviously. But what what can you then do to influence those variables through external things that aren't traditional in source of in terms of sourcing data, but it, but become an advantage in terms of influencing the creation of that data. Cool. So, so you. Pro- I apologize if you've been asked this like a million times in the past couple of weeks. Then, but was Charles Barkley full of crap or? <laughs> no, actually, well, he, he he's right, but he he's right for the wrong reason, right? So when Charles says analytics doesn't matter, if if he would have said it five years ago when he did, he was would have been wrong. Ten years ago, he definitely would have been wrong. But now, when every team has got a whole group of data scientists analyzing, he, he's kind of right because everybody has access to the same information. And it's more the traditional ways of taking traditional eye tests and combine it with the analytics. And your, your ability with the eye test becomes more important than the analytics because it's an efficient market for that data. Does that make sense? Yeah, certainly. Really yeah, you know, it's, it's like the stock market, right? It's, it's the old random walk down Wall Street, right, where they say people who try to actively manage their stock portfolios typically don't over you know, an extended period of time don't have an advantage because it's an efficient market. And, you know, that's why a lot of people recommend low-cost index funds, you know, mm-hmm. like the Vanguard index funds, because everybody has access to the same data, so no one has an advantage other than, you know, if you understand an industry better, that type of thing. And so it's the exact same thing with big data as it applies to sports. Wow. wow. This is, I, mean, I didn't even get a chance to ask you about Rajon Rondo. So. Hey, we love Rajon. Well, we loved him too, believe it or not. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, we're out of time, but I really appreciate it, Mark. Always good Anytime. talking to you. Take, I appreciate it, guys. Take care. Hey, and anybody who's listening here, um, I've got an app called Cyberdust, and one of the cool <laughs> things about Cyberdust is that you can um, download it and add me at AskMark, A-S-K-M-A-R-K, <laughs> and if you have any follow-up questions about anything on the podcast, just ask me and I'll be happy to answer. That is awesome. Great. Thanks, Mark.
Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Anytime.